I think I see something new in that bumper every time I watch it with the kid running around with the fireworks chasing after people. Uh, we've been in a series called The Struggle is Real, and the real struggle in parenting is to not parent like our parents parented us, because that's pretty much what we all default to. Is we just, it's what we know, it's what we grew up with, it's what we sort of, had, that was what was modeled for us. And the real struggle, though, as we looked in the very first week, is to parent like God parents. And then last week, Pastor Chris so eloquently talked about how uh, if there was dysfunction in the family that you came from, to be the one who breaks that cycle of dysfunction and begin in a new path, in a new direction, and gave us some, some handles on how to move in a new direction in our parenting. This morning, I want to look at how it is that God disciplines us, corrects us, and trains us uh, throughout uh, the scriptures and what we see from his example that he puts out for us. Uh, there's a classic parenting proverb called Pro- or from Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. And now, keep in mind, there's, some people have questions about this. Uh, there's two things with this. One is that Proverbs is a general truism. In other words, this isn't, you do this, this will always happen. It is, when you do this, most of the time, this is the result. Uh, but I will say this, because some people ask, well, my kids, I, I, I was training this, but then my kids turned out this way. How, how, why is that? I can tell you from leadership studies that typically the results that you get are because you have a system designed to produce that result. If you have lazy employees, it's because you have a system that's rewarded laziness. Some of you are, are you know, groaning because you work somewhere that rewards laziness of employees. And the kind of the idea is, is we won't fire anybody, we'll just make the hard workers do all the work for everybody else. That's the system. And everybody knows that's the system, and you kind of fell into place. That's that's because that's a system that was designed there to produce that result. Now the thing about that is nobody would ever set out to design such a system, right? No employer would ever set out to purposely what I want to do is I want to set up a situation where half the people don't do anything or do the very bare minimum. The other half the people do all the work completely and put all the load on them. And if something has to get done, I make sure that one of my good employees does it. But we're going to pay everybody pretty much the same. Nobody would ever set out and consciously do that system. In the same way as parents, parents don't consciously often go out to set out a system to create the kind of children that they're creating. It just sort of happens. And it happens sort of unintentionally along the way. So, for instance, if you find that it takes an hour or two for your kids to get ready for bed, it's because you have a system that's perfectly designed for it to be a two-hour process. Because, because when you tell them that it's time for bed, you have no intention whatsoever of them listening the first time. You don't even expect that. You just assume that's not even going to happen. You will wait to be ignored ten times before you raise your voice. And when you raise your voice, that's when they gravitate slowly toward it, and it goes on this slow progression. I remember I had some friends over years ago, and I just called up and said, hey guys, it's time for bed, and they went in and got ready for bed, and they looked at me like, how did you do that? I said, oh, we have a system that it's only about a five-minute procedure for them to brush their teeth, go to the bathroom, and get in bed. They said, well, well, why is that? I said, because I told them. I said, I don't care how long it takes you. These are the things that you're going to do, and if it takes you two hours, we'll just start at five o'clock, so that way you have plenty of time to get in bed. If you want to start at, you know, five minutes before bedtime, we can do that. If you want to start a half hour before bedtime, you want to start, we can start bedtime as soon as you get home from school if you'd like. Whenever you want to start bedtime, we can, but we'll do it. And they, so they figured out pretty quickly, you know, we can knock this thing out in less than five minutes, so we can stay up a little bit later. Let's do that then. Whatever system you have, it's designed to get the results that you are getting. And if you're getting results you don't like, it's probably because there is a system problem somewhere along the way. So you think about what is it that 
you are training your kids to be. Are you training your kids to be eternally dependent? Are you training your kids to be selfish? Are you training your kids to think the world revolves around them? Are you training your kids to be an elite athlete? Are you training your kids to just simply be obedient? What is it that you're training your kids to be or to become? Be thinking about that because train up a child in the way they will go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. And so some of you, the way that you are today is because that's what your parents trained you to become. Uh, Your house was a factory to produce a unit that looks like you quite often in the way that you handle things, the way you handle stress or anything else. Now, think for a moment, though, what is it you dream for your kids to do or to become? I spent a lot of time thinking about this. I'll just tell you some of the things that, you know, came out in my own life. This is my own parenting. Uh, This is what I wanted for my kids. Um, I wanted them to be able to have healthy relationships. Uh, As a pastor, I help people to have healthy relationships and walk through people who have struggling relationships, and I just wanted my kids to be able to have healthy relationships. So I wanted to parent towards that. I wanted to spend those times talking in the car, and when we wake up, and when we go to bed, all those things that Deuteronomy 6 talks about, one of the things we talk a lot about is healthy relationships and what makes for a healthy relationships. And as they would have friends come and go out of their life, we would analyze and say, okay, why do you think that friendship broke down, or why do you think they were a good friend or weren't a good friend, or why do you think you lost that friend? And we would talk about maybe mistakes we made or mistakes that the other child has made about what we contribute to having better friendships and better relationships over time. Uh, another thing I wanted for them was to be financially stable. And so early on, I uh, got this from a friend of mine, said, you know, do an allowance of $3. And so that's what you get my kids, $3. Uh, one goes to God, one is saved, and one they can spend on whatever they want. Um, now, don't tell me about percentages and 10%, 33%, whatever. It's just the principle of it early on that we're going to give first, save second, and spend whatever is left or spend the rest. And so I wanted to teach that early on so that uh, as they're growing and as they get more money, they can begin to see that. I want to be able to put, to put together the concept that time is often money, uh, that if you work two hours to earn that money and then you went out and bought something ridiculous with it, I just want you to know, you spent two hours of your life to get that ridiculous item you're now holding that you no longer care about, don't even look at it anymore. I would rather them make bonehead decisions with $20 or $100 than do it later on for thousands of dollars. You with me on this? That was just my goal. Uh, there are g- games that we would play at home, which were all about teaching financial uh, management and wise decisions. There's this great game um, called Cash Flow. Uh, I think it's made by Rich Dad Poor Dad, if you ever heard of it. I've got a copy. I've got one if you ever want to borrow it to play sometime. And it's funny, years ago, I played this game, and I wanted to play it with a friend of mine who I knew was bad with money just to see if this game was really accurate to life. This is a true story. Sure enough, he was making such bad decisions, about half, not even halfway the about, about 10 turns in the game, I turned him, I said, you realize, I just did some calculations on this. If your risky investment doesn't pay off in three rolls, like three turns, you're going to be bankrupt and out of the game. He's like, yeah, 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 but if it does, I'm winning it. <laughs> it's a proverb. Hasty speculation leads to poverty, but steady plotting leads to prosperity. And guess what? He was out in three turns. That was it. And you know what he did? He was asking for everybody else to loan him money. I was like, this game is true to life. It really is. This is, this is you know, a microcosm of what your life is right now. You are always asking everybody else for money to bail you out for your situation. I, thought, I didn't want my kids to be in that situation. I wanted them to, to have healthy financial principles. And so I was thinking about what can I do to instill that in them over time. Another thing I wanted them to have was a good work ethic. And so when they would do hard work, they'd get rewarded for it. When they wouldn't do hard work, they wouldn't get rewarded for it. Um, so I wanted them to have a good work ethic. Um, the other thing is that one of them, my, one of my goals in, in life is 
that they would love to come home to visit someday. I'll never forget years ago talking with a friend of mine, and I just casually said, hey, what are you doing over Christmas break? He's like, oh, going to visit my parents. I was like, really? That bad, huh? He's like, yeah, I hate going back home. And then he said this to me. He said, you know, as much as I hate going home, it would crush me if my girls ever felt that way about me. And I remember just thinking about that, thinking to myself, that is a goal in my life, that I want to have a home that my kids will always want to come home to. Um, And then lastly, uh, one of my goals for my kids is that, that of course, they would have a loving relationship with Jesus Christ that would last for all eternity. Uh, I know that typically when kids get to the late teen years into the 20s or so, life comes at them pretty hard. And that's a time when people typically walk away from God. And my hope is to be able to give them such firm roots and foundation that when they get to that place, when the winds and the storms of life come at them, that they'll be so firmly planted that they will not waver off of their understanding that this life is really all about God. It's not about chasing after money or fame or fortune or any of these other things. It's all about a loving relationship with God that will last for all eternity. This has been my hope, and that's what I've been trying to parent towards. Um, But there's two things that work against whatever your goals are for your kids. There are two things that are going to work heavily against that. One is their sin nature. It's going to work heavily against all those goals. You know what the other one is? Your sin nature is going to work heavily against that. Uh, because it is very difficult to parent as God parents. It's very difficult, like we looked at last week, to break the cycles of dysfunction in your own life. When it comes to discipline, though, I, I want to look at more specifically about how it is that God relates to us in terms of discipline. Uh, the characteristics of God are this perfect blend of grace and truth. Uh, when you read about how John summarizes the life of Jesus, when he talks in John chapter 1, verse 14, he says, Jesus was full of grace and truth. Now, it's really difficult to be both of those. Uh, on the one hand, to give uh, such an ultimatum, just to draw a line in the sand and says, you will not do this. But if you do, I love you anyway. Right? It's really hard to find that perfect tension between you better not and even if you do, I'll love you. You, you with me on this? Really, really hard to, to, to pull that tension. And God does it so perfectly with us. So when we begin just talking about the love, the love of God. Uh, God's love is unconditional and is unlimited. God's love for us is unconditional and it is unlimited. Uh, Over in uh, Romans, when Paul is talking about the love of God, he says this, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present or the future, nor any other powers, nor heights, nor death, uh, nor anything else in all creation can be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. May it be your goal, your hope, your mission, that one day your kids would, when they reflect back on the way that you love them, they would be able to say this about you. I'm convinced of this, that neither heights nor depths, nor angels nor demons, nor uh, anything above nor anything below, nor anything past or present or future could ever separate me from the love that my mom and dad have for me. They may see your love in that way. I remember years ago when I was studying uh, Luke 15 about the prodigal son. There's a message in that series on how do you parent prodigals. And one of the things I'll I'll never forget from that study was this, was if you know the story, it's, it's about a son who looks at his dad and says, I wish you were dead. You're pretty much dead to me anyway. The only thing you're good for in my life is for an inheritance. And if you could just give that to me now, I would be happy and I could just leave and we could just part ways and never see each other again. Just give me what's mine. And so his dad actually grants him that and he gives him that and heartbreakingly watches his prodigal son leave. And his son, of course, goes off and spends it all and makes a mess of his life and gets to the point where he's literally hitting rock bottom. And when he hits rock bottom, who comes to mind? His father. His home. And he has this sense, I've got nowhere to go 
but something within them still says, I can still come home. And may it be your goal to parent in such a way that no matter what happens, your kids know that they can always come home. Win or lose, they can always come home. That your love is greater than all their sin or whatever they've ever done. Uh, that there's nothing they could ever do to make you ever love them any less. Uh, that regardless of whether they are a prodigal or make a mess of their life or hit rock bottom, they know they can always, always, always come home. May your love always be that great because that's the kind of love that God has for us. Uh, secondly, though, God is full of truth. Now, when I say truth, this is where we're getting to the discipline side of it. Uh, truth in terms of God lives in reality. He wants you to live in reality. He calls you to live in reality. Oftentimes, there's this big push today where you hear people say, well, I just need to find my own truth. I need to, I just want to share my truth with you. There's no such thing. I don't think you understand the definition of truth when you think you can have a truth and I can have a truth and they can have a truth. No, there is truth. And God is calling us to live in truth. And what happens when truth smacks you upside the head? It hurts, doesn't it? Right? You're living in a fantasy world and in a dream world, and people say, well, perception is reality. No. You're li- if your perception does not line up with reality, you're in a fantasy land. And eventually, reality is going to hit you in the head. Because when you look over in the scripture, um, Paul talks about people who live in fantasy land, and he says it like this. He says, this is Romans chapter 1, verse 19. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all forms of godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress truth with their wickedness. Now, a couple of years ago, we talked about this in our Roman series. What basically he's talking about here is, is people often will set out and say, well, I'm going to find my own truth. I'm going to do my own thing. Who says that's right and this is wrong? I mean, can't we all decide that for ourselves? Maybe that's right for you, but it's not right for me. And what God is saying here is, listen, I've baked consequences into the natural order of things. Uh, Elsewhere in Scripture, he talks about how you will reap what it is you have sown. Actions have consequences. Numbers 23, 32, be sure your sin will find you out. So often we're trying to medicate consequences. We're trying to bail our way out of the consequences of our actions. We want to live in a world that's free of all consequences from our actions. And God says, that's not reality. That's not how I made the universe. What goes up will come down. You don't just hover and float around forever. There's no just endless bit of this. There is a reality. And God is calling you to live in reality. And when that happens, when you're jerked out of your fantasy and into reality, oftentimes we refer to that as discipline. Because the reality is actions have consequences. And so often as parents, what you want to do is you want so desperately to protect your child from the consequences of their actions, don't you? You don't want to see your kid hurt. You don't want to see them sad. You don't want to see them suffer. You don't want to see them go without. You don't want them to endure the pain that's being brought by it. But if you do, if you do, if you do, what kind of world are you creating for your kids? You're basically facilitating a fantasy land that you can't perpetuate. And you've seen this at some form or another. At some point, reality will smack your child in the face. You cannot prevent it. Uh, I, I talked to a couple years back, I remember, uh, with a guy who was a, he, he owned a Chick-fil-A franchise. This is one of the most frustrating things about uh, operating a Chick-fil-A franchise is most of the people that we employ are teenagers. And this is their first job. This is the first job they ever get. And what will happen is that they'll show up late for work, or they'll be running behind, or they need a day off, and they don't call. Who do you think calls? Parents call. 
says, and I have to have this real-world conversation when they come into work and say, listen, I didn't hire your mama. I didn't hire your daddy. I hired you. The paycheck is made out to you. You're on the payroll. You are my employee. I will not talk to your mother, and I will not talk to your father. And if you are late for work, you will lose your job. And if, if you don't do your work while you're here, you can go home and complain and cry to your mom all you want. But that's between you and your mom. We have a business relationship, and you're my employee. And you see, what happens in that moment is a parent is so desperately wanting to shield their child, but you can't do it at Chick-fil-A, and you definitely can't do it for the rest of their life. And some parents want to, but you can't. So when is it that you let reality hit them? Do you wait till they're teenagers? Do you do it when they're five years old? When do you introduce them to reality? From the start. You have to introduce them to reality from the start. Now there's four stages of parenting, and, and in each stage of the parenting, this introduction to reality takes on different forms. Uh, the first stage of parenting is, is birth up until five years. Uh, and this is uh, often called the discipline years. Uh, and this phase of life, because I said so, is valid. It is. Now, you're going to find as you go on, that's not where you go to. But at the very beginning of life, because I said so matters. And it matters incredibly. And some people are still rebelling against their teenage years and hearing their parents say, I said so. And so they try to reason with their kids, or like their two-year-old. You're still reactionary parenting. You wanted your, your parents to reason with you when you were a teenager, and so you're still rebelling against your parents by trying to reason with a two-year-old. You see, at two, they need to understand authority. Why? Because if they don't understand authority at two, eventually they get to the point where they're going to school. And if they say, you can't make me, or I don't want to to you, and you allow that, what happens when they say that to their teacher? And I don't want to hear from you teachers right now because all of you right now are going, oh, I can tell you right now what that's like. <laughs> I've loved this year. Anyways. <laughs> and if they don't figure it out, you know, and if they don't learn it when they get to school, then eventually they get that job, like at Chick-fil-A or somewhere else, and their employer says, you need to do this, and they say, why? You can't make me, and they lose their job. And then they take it to, take it to society at large, and then they end up with confrontations with the law, Right? And it just continues and continues and continues. At some point, you need to recognize there is an authority greater to you that you have to submit yourself to. We are all under authority. And who is the ultimate authority that we're representing in that moment? God. Is God looking at you saying, because I said so, enough? Yeah. There are some things in this book I don't understand the why behind. But I trust the authority behind it. I love when I understand the why but I don't always. And in those moments, I just have to trust. God says, Steve, can you just trust me? This is what God says to Job, remember? Job's like, why is all this happening? I don't understand this. And God's saying, listen, there are things in this life that go on that are beyond your knowledge, your comprehension, your understanding. Can you just trust that I know what I'm doing? Can you do this just because I said so? That's a lesson you gotta learn early on in life, that there is an authority that says because I said so and you have to listen to it. And you're not always gonna know the why or the what behind it. And there's three things that are very important at this stage in life, um, and that is disrespect, uh, disobedience, um, and uh, dishonesty. Uh, and the reason why these are so, so crucial is because they're the foundations for relationships and moving forward. Um, so the disrespect thing, we know, you know Scripture says, honor your mother and father. Um, if you get down just the one rule to honor one another in your family, you don't need any other rules, do you? 
you get that one down, just show honor, you don't really need a lot of other rules. Uh, second one, disobedience. Um, what I'm talking about here primarily is, is not an irresponsibility that's bound up in the heart of a child, and I discipline that very differently than we do disobedience. Like, you forgot to take out the trash. That is disciplined very differently than, I'm not gonna, right? I'll never forget James Dobson says, choose your battles wisely, and when it comes to this one, win, and win decisively. It's a battle you must win and win decisively, because if you allow that to go on, your bedtimes will take four hours. Uh, your word means nothing. Your authority means nothing whatsoever. Um, and then dishonesty. Uh, I was always intentional to double the consequence of whatever happened with this one. So if your consequence for your action was, you know, you lose your toy for a day because you lied about it, now you lose it for two days. And I was always very clear that this is for this, we doubled it because of lying. That was just my policy, that's what I did, you can do whatever you want. Uh, but I wanted them to see that lying doubled the consequence. Not just, well, you did it, so we lose our toy, and you shouldn't have lied about it. it we don't wrap all that stuff in. We, these are separate violations. Um, so that, that's birth through about five years. From five to 12, that's where you could begin to talk about the why behind the what. So we'll go back and talk about dishonesty. And when this dishonesty happens, not only are we doubling the consequence, we also have a conversation as to why we are. And the reason why is because lying breaks relationships. That's a principle in life. It's a life principle. Lying breaks relationships. Think about the relationships you've had over your life that have been broken and the role lying has played in that. And that's something you can relate to your kids. You know, you lie to your friends, that'll break a relationship. You lie to your teacher, it'll break your relationship. You lie to a spouse, that will break a relationship. You lie and you lie and you lie, it will break relationships. That's why we don't lie. It, that's why it, it makes life twice as hard. It makes relationships twice as hard. That's why the consequences are twice as much because that's what lying does. It just, it compounds all these things. Um, let me back up one also, is that Ecclesiastes talked about when there's a delay, Ecclesiastes 11 says, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, um, people are filled with schemes to do wrong. The younger they are, the quicker the consequence. The younger they are, the quicker the consequences. Sometimes consequences can sort of spread out a little bit as they get older, because they understand more of the depths behind things. Um, when we do chores around the house, we start talking about the why behind the what of the chores because you're a part of this family, you're a part of community. Everybody pitches in. Uh, sometimes they'll get that question, how much are you gonna get paid for that? <laughs> Room and board. <laughs> that's, 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 that's your pay. You, you earn your keep, you know, you are a part of this family. Um, and you know, my kids know, dad can't do everything. And I don't want to instill the idea, I don't want them someday to be a roommate who doesn't know how to do dishes. Remember that roommate? Anybody have that roommate? Remember that one? who doesn't clean up after themselves, and, and mama forgot to come, to come to college with them, mama forgot to come to the Navy with them, mama forgot to, to follow after them. Unless you can afford a butler to follow them around the rest of their life, at some point, they need to take this on for themselves. What are you training them to become? Are you training them to become dependent upon you? Or are you training them to become a good roommate someday, a good spouse someday, a good employee someday? What is it you're training them to do and become? So those are the training years. Uh, 12 to 18, uh, when I was reading through on this, I found this in multiple sources talking about this age group, and I loved it because it confirmed what I'd already felt. I just couldn't sort of like put it into words. I had a conversation a couple years ago with a friend of mine, and I said, you know, I, I sort of feel like as if my job as a parent's done. Like, I mean, honestly, I, my kids are all teenagers now, and I feel like I don't even have to parent anymore. I'm really, I'm kind of done parenting. They're like, what? What do you mean you're done parenting? This is the hardest part. 
Here's the thing. If you did the discipline years and you did the training years, the teenage years are what it, sa it says, these are the coaching years. You really become more of a coach than anything else, right? Like, like I, don't, I don't have to tell you right and wrong so much. I'm, I'm, we're coaching. We're having sort of like halftime talks, right? All right, let's debrief what happened here in the first half. All right, because you know, we got a second half coming up. The way you treated that girlfriend recently really didn't work out very well, and you weren't really a good boyfriend, so let's talk about how we're going to do things differently next time around so the same thing doesn't happen. Let's have a halftime talk before we you know, get back in this and engage again, right? You, you have those kind of conversations where you're talking and you're coaching along the way. And I'll tell you this, this, is, this may or may not be good parenting. I want my kids to fail as much as possible in their teenage years. I really do. Why? It's the truth part of life. It's the truth part of life. Uh, I don't want to have my kids grow up in bubble wrap. I want them to fail. I want them to make dumb decisions. I want them to make dumb decisions while they're still living in my house. It is a whole lot easier to coach them. You know what I really didn't like about soccer? When the kids were in their early years, they let the coaches be on the field. And we could like say, come here, Timmy, right here. Stand right here. Okay, there you go. All right, all right, okay, guys. Right. They hit a certain age where the coaches then had to stand on the sidelines, right? And now I feel like Will Ferrell, get off the shed, move to the back, get over. Totally ineffective. And I, I, I can't coach at this point. I don't have the voice. I don't have the lung power to coach at that age. I just, I just I can't do it. I, I was ruining my voice trying to coach at that age from the sidelines. In the same way as a parent, do you know how hard it is to parent when, when your kids are 400 miles away? When I can't just kind of come over in here and hug them and hold them and say, all right, what did we do here? How are we going to do this? All right, we made that decision. What was the outcoming of it? In the teenage years, what you learn, I remember reading about this in developmental psychology, you learn complex cause and effect. You learn delayed cause and effect. This is a very important thing to learn. Because when you're young, you're learning things like stick your finger in an electric socket and there's an immediate reaction, right? Ah, that hurt. Now, it, it's really hard for them to understand, you know, if you don't invest money now, you're not going to have money later. They can't understand that when they're two years old. But they can begin, they begin to understand complex cause and effect that decisions you make on Friday night can affect you for a week or for a month or sometimes for the rest of your life. And so it's in the teenage years they're learning complex cause and effect, and your job as a parent is to help them be able to connect the dots of the delayed gratification, connect the dots of the delayed punishment of things that come, of the delayed back-end hurts that come there. When you neglect something over time, here's what happens. We, we didn't take care of our toy, we didn't take care of our machine, and what happened? Now it doesn't work. And so they begin to learn the complex cause and effect is what we're learning during those coaching years. Um, sowing and reaping, natural consequences. Um, recently, uh, heard this story about a kid who stole his mom's car and wrecked it. And the comment was, can you believe you barely even got punished for it? I said, yes, I can. Why? Because that's the kind of kid who steals his mom's car. <laughs> the one who doesn't get punished for it. Right? What kind of discipline and training do you think happened between birth and 12 years? And I'll tell you right now, if you're, if you're a teen parent and you haven't done the discipline and the training in the early years, teenage years are very difficult for you. You need to get some help for this because it's a very difficult and very crucial time. You still have time, not a lot of time, and it's going to take a lot of work. If you have younger kids, get on it. 
Now is the time. Discipline, train, coach. And then the final stage is when they're 18 and up, it's, it's, it's the friendship years. You know, it's, it's the time where you have that lifelong friendship. You know, so many people will say, who's your best friend? They say, my mom. How many of you in here want your kids to say that? Yeah. That's what you want. You want your kids to grow up and they want, you want them to see you as a friend, not as your eternal maid, not as your eternal banker, right? As a friend. And if you do the discipline, you do the training, and you do the coaching, someday you'll have that. If you don't, what you'll see, and maybe you can identify this either in your own life or others, you can see people who stay stuck in that one phase for their entire life with their kids. They're still disciplining. They're still training. They're still having to coach on and on and on, and they never can get to the place of friendship. So think about how it is that you're, you're, you're coaching and training and disciplining your kids. Are you doing it with the same grace and truth balance that God has? That I love you, and here's the reason why we don't do this, and this is what reality is, and I want to prepare you for what the world is like, and this is what's going to happen. And this isn't just me telling you this, and this isn't just because I said so. It's because this is the ramifications of it. And as much as you fail, I'm always going to be here, and I'm always going to love you. I'll take you to the doctor. <laughs> I'll take you to, you know, to see if we can get that mended but you're going to buy the new one and you're going to work for it. Would you only as we close in prayer? Father, I thank you for both your grace and your truth over my life. Father, much of the discipline that you've doled out on me for my poor decisions, as your word so truly says, it was painful at the time. And Father, some lessons I had to learn in a very, very, very hard way. But it is true, it does bring forth a harvest of righteousness when we've received your discipline and responded to it. Father, for the parents in this room, may they take up that mantle of preparing their children for reality. But at the same time, showing them the same love and grace that you've poured out over us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.